You're listening to Healthcare Now Radio. Stand by for this just in the latest in healthcare innovation and technology trends with your HIT advisor, Justin Barnes. Thank you for tuning in. Welcome to This Just In. I'm your host, Justin Barnes. In these half-hour segments, I'll bring you the latest advancements in healthcare, corporate strategy, innovation, and public policy. As always, we're broadcasting from the This Just In studios on the Business Radio X network, as well as the Healthcare Now radio network. For this episode, we're going to be speaking with my good friend and industry colleague, Bradley Dick, Chief Information Officer for Resurgence Orthopedics. Welcome, Bradley. Hey, Justin. (laughs) It's great to see you, my friend, and have you back on the show. So you first joined me on the air when we had our live show during the Adventure Plus Forum at HIMSS 15 Annual Conference in Chicago. So I appreciate you coming back. I appreciate it. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. No, you did a great job, and um, that was a great, great show. So and I'm excited to have you on the show today, uh, mainly to share a lot of your insights and also how you've successfully nav- navigated a large healthcare organization through just all this maturations and changes, really, over the last several years. How long have you been with the resurgence? Uh, it will be nine years, and um, yeah, it's, it's crazy to say that. It'll be nine years in November. I actually had no idea. I didn't know it was that long. I mean, you and I have been friends for a long time. So I guess that's right, because you were actually with the resurgence when I met you, and we've been friends for a long time. I actually thought it was, you know, three or four or five years. No, 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 no. It's, uh, it, it's been quite, quite, a, quite a journey. Yeah, I can only imagine. And that's why when I first thought, even when I saw you at HIMSS and, said, and, and asked you to be on the show back when we went uh, uh, live from HIMSS um, in April, uh, your experiences, just your strategy. You and I talk a lot about you know, how the industry has changed, what's happening, you know, past, present, and future. So when I thought of this show today, I got real excited just because you know, you've done a great job navigating resurgence through all of this. Uh, and you sit on a lot of boards and, and offer insights, um, you know, as a CIO out there. So, um, you know, I, again, I appreciate you being here. But before we jump too far into the broadcast and get to all the juicy stuff, which I'm excited about, uh, where were you born and raised is where I always like to start. So uh, I was born in Washington, D.C., but for, for, for those that were uh, born in Washington, D.C., that means <laughs> you were born in northern Virginia or Maryland. <laughs> Very good um, I know that's changing now, but uh, I, was, uh, I grew up in Fairfax County. So, um, you know, lived there uh, uh, for about 18 years until I mo- moved to Atlanta. Okay. And uh, what brought you to Atlanta? Uh, I came about a girl. Um, uh, <laughs> my, my, my current wife, we weren't married at the time, but uh, she was going to come down here for school. And, um, you know, I, 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 I didn't really know that much about Atlanta, but um, I, I had the experience of D.C. and uh, mm-hmm. wanted a, a different uh, environment. And, I mean, we came down here and we visited, and I mm-hmm. fell in love with the, with the, with the city. Yeah, actually, similar experience, obviously a little different from, um, didn't come down with my wife, but came down to visit a couple of times with a company that I was with and just fell in love with the city. It was right around the Olympics, and so there's so much energy, what, a billion dollars into the infrastructure. So Atlanta just turned into a a phenomenal, magical city in a lot of ways. I'm sure it was before, but I didn't see that, but I saw it afterwards. And having, you know, 18-lane highways, you can zip around everywhere, it's amazing. Yeah, but we we moved here in '99, so I mean it was it was right post uh, Olympics, and I mean everything had just been everything was new. It was yeah. it was very interesting to see a city going from DC, where so many things were old, <laughs> old yeah. and and they'd been around for so long, um, uh, to to a city that had just kind of had a whole revitalization. Very good point. Or a resurgence. Uh, uh, <laughs> touche, touche. 
That's awesome. So you're here in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. What do you like about our ecosystem for business? Because I know you you conducted business here before even resurgence on the corporate side. Uh, but what do you like it uh, like about it for healthcare and health IT? Um, so for for business, one of the things that I love about Atlanta is the simple fact that there's not a single industry. There's not a you know financial industry like New York or mm-hmm. movie industry or some of the other industries in, in like the West Coast or yeah. the, the auto industry up, up north. Um, there's not a single industry that can really hurt uh, Metro Atlanta. Um, we have so many different diverse, you know, multi-faceted uh, uh, companies here that uh, really kind of makes it a, a, a really good opportunity from, uh, from the standpoint of looking at, at uh, if one industry yeah. it ha- suffers. So, yeah. um, you know, from a healthcare perspective, you know, I think we have a lot of, we have a great mix of both educational uh, healthcare institutions and large health systems. Um, we have a, a, a number of huge vendors. I mean, you know, McKesson's been here for forever, um, and uh, you know, all scripts now being here as well, um, and and even some of the startups. I mean, I really probably the most exciting thing to me right now is the the startups in this in the in this industry. I mean, the like the uh, a number of the the startup incubators mm-hmm. uh, have just really embraced healthcare. They see healthcare as being a, a huge opportunity for them. And it's just amazing when you hear what type of opportunities they have and what type of ideas that, that you, you know, you, you think that you're the smartest in right. the room or not, I mean, not the smartest, but yeah. you, know, you think that you're yeah. in technology. We're day to day and they just come up with something that just blows your mind. And you're just, yeah. you're just mind blown. Yeah. No, I, I agree actually. And my last guest <clears throat> from my last show, we were discussing just the amount of, um, large organizations uh, that live or, or are housed around Metro Atlanta. And I think we're number four or five on the Fortune 500 list. I'm, you know, a number of CEOs that live here and corporations that are here. So it, it just brings significant diversity uh, in, at, at every level to our community. So I, I couldn't agree more. And certainly to your point where you brought up the incubators, obviously I'm an entrepreneur and resident at uh, the ATDC, and I'm actually broadcasting a live show uh, very soon from the ATV, the Atlanta Tech Village, uh, around uh, their neuro launch um, incubator there. So, you know, just, uh, you know, our community does have it and our ecosystem's strong in a lot of different markets. Obviously, healthcare and health IT is, is my background and a little bit of yours, but to your point, it's, it's all corporates, America, all corporate uh, components of America are here, which is very, very cool. So, to dive now into healthcare and, and a little bit of health IT, you know, what challenges, because, it's kind of funny. I think the life expectancy of a CIO, it's some ridiculous number, like 18 months or 24 months, or maybe it's up to 36. It's not long. Uh, but uh, but what are some of the challenges that you faced as a CIO of a large organization? So so I, I think when you look at that, there there's 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 different types of CIOs, just like there's different types of CEOs, there's different types of CFOs. You know, there, there are people that go in there to take a company private, and that's, that's, their, that's their bread and butter. So you could say, well, that CEO only lasted, you know, a year or two. Well, that's because that's what he was, he was sent in there to do. So I think with the renaissance of healthcare and, uh, or IT and healthcare, I think there, that there's been a big vacuum in there. There's been a huge amount. I mean, they're almost CIO consultants that have come in, and they're just transformational CIOs. They come in there, they write the ship, they put in the right infrastructure, they put in the right uh, processes to, uh, to get a system uh, moving forward, and then they turn it over. So I think that that's where a lot of the, those type of statistics come from. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, but I mean, th- that being said, you know, it's a very challenging industry. I mean, there's been a lot of shifting. There's been a lot of um, mergers and acquisitions. I mean, you know, one day, you know, you could be with a, a large health system, and then you could be acquired by a larger health system. Right. Um, so it's a very uh, um, 
uh, the maturation process, like you were talking about before, is uh, something that ha- plays a big role in that. So, I mean, the challenge of a CIO is, you know, you have to stay relevant. You have to make sure that, you know, you're delivering to your customers and, um, you know, that, that at, the, at the end of the day that the patients are taken care of. Yeah, because your customers are obviously the patients that, in, that visit your, you know, institution, resurgence. Uh, but then also your customers are the doctors, the administrators that are inside resurgence. So you have some, the owners, the owners. Yeah, you. Ha- yeah. And, and then, yeah, obviously the patients that pay the owner's bills. So it's, I mean, pretty amazing. I didn't really think of it that from that perspective of what CIOs have to deliver, because a lot of us, you know, we kind of deliver more to one segment, but you really you're beholden to two. Because <laughs> oh, if it's not that the patient's not taken care of at the end of the day and getting superior you know, care, quality and innovation, that falls back on you. Yeah, definitely. Very interesting. So, and I just thought of something I'm going to ask you around innovation later on. Um, but, uh, but so, because I want to kind of keep a, a common theme here. So over the last three to four years, what has your focus been? Because again, there's so much happening in the industry from, you know, just managing your practice and strategy to obviously meaningful use and security and mobility and ICD-10 and accountable care. And there's just so much. So where have you you know, Bradley Dick, for Resurgence, where have you been focused on? What your institution? So um, th- the main thing that we've been focusing on was, uh, uh, I'd say, meaningful use. I mean, that was first mm-hmm. and foremost. I mean, when the MU2 regs came out, um, we were aggressively seeking them last year. So we were going after going to, to get MU2 last year, um, even though there was, there was some fluctuation. You know, we, we went after it. Um, so we had a lot of uh, things that we need to implement, mm-hmm. uh, interoperability, uh, you know, stuff that, didn't necessarily apply as much in orthopedics, like lab work and, and those type of things. So mm-hmm. it, it's kind of hard to get get around those regs. So um, you know, meaningful use has been first and foremost. So I mean, that's kind of where you know the whole entire team is, has been focusing on. So um, that you know, there was ICD-10 where we started. You know, we we've done a, a bunch of pilots and looked at a lot of different opportunities for what's going to be most effective with that. Um, something that might not affect all CIOs, but one of the big things when they um, re uh, um, when they reclassified uh, uh, hydrocodone, that was actually a huge impact for mm. us because um, being orthopedics, we do have a lot of uh, um, narcotic prescriptions. And going from a Schedule 3 to a Schedule 2, that meant that that no longer could be called in, that no longer could be written on, you know, uh, even it had to be written on security pads. Yeah. Um, so the the operational impact that that had and the customer service impact really kind of, we had to be ready for that. So, um, you know, it's, it's little things like that. It's, it's not always the big things. Um, you know, th- that being said, you know, focusing on workflow, making things efficient, making things, um, the provider should be able to see the patient. The technology shouldn't get in the way. Right. Um, cause that's kind of the biggest, I think any type of feedback that we've ever received from a uh, healthcare IT perspective is I feel like this thing is in my way. You know, the, I think the patient doesn't want to feel like their doctor's not paying attention to them and just typing on a keyboard. Um, and the, trust me, the doctors don't want to be sitting there typing on a keyboard. Exactly. Anyway. So, um, you know, figuring out ways that we could bring the care to the patient um, and, and, and involve them in the care and make sure that we have the workflows that can be as, as optimized as possible. So mobility, security, kind of both tying those two in. Yeah, no, actually, good, good point, because actually I'm writing a thought leadership piece now on um, just kind of the rise of the need for workflow. It's always been there, but innovation is driving, I think, more workflow enhancements, but then also it's a, it's a challenge because a lot of the, Providers out there use their iPhones, they use their their tablets, and there's a lot of just usability functions that they're used to in, in every other app, 
But when they switch over to using an EHR, it hasn't been written in the last year or two or three or four or five, you know. So it's a totally different beast, and it doesn't ha- does not have the inherent workflow that a lot of the applications that we use on a daily basis have. And that's something that the market's struggling with. And I know I just read a stat that 65% of practices and hospitals are looking to replace their EHR. Now, they may not all replace, but they're looking. Say, you know what? I'm lifting my head. I've got a vendor. Might stay with them, but I'm looking. That's a huge number. We were, you know, we were at 45, 50% before, but to get us, but the, and actually as of this morning, I want to say I read another story. The level of dissatisfaction today is greater than ever before with their electronic health records. And, I, and obviously, I come from the industry. I'm a huge proponent of the industry, so I wouldn't bash it in any way. I think just navigating it, how do we inject innovation into the electronic health records to the best of our ability? I am a big proponent of some of the new innovative players just because they have written some systems in the last couple of years. And so they, you know, they might have some more of that usability. But you know, I think from your standpoint, just understanding, you know, how have you been able to manage and, and kind of clear that workflow hurdle to the best of your ability? Basically by putting it in the front. I mean, I mean, anytime we look at any type of impact on how we are going to implement something, the first thing is how is it going to impact the provider workflow? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we will put a lot of um, you know, medical assistants or other people in place. We look for different types of automation. We have a system that we use for single sign-on that also man- manages patient contacts. So we've completely rolled that out to all of our uh, all of our uh, patient areas or all of our, our pod areas, which is where we see the patients, yep. so that the doctor can tap the, a badge and they can get into the application, have it pull up the patient um, that they need to see, and it'll it'll synchronize between the different applications. So, you know, looking at workflow when we when we kind of imp- when we implement something that's going to impact workflow, yeah. um, you know, we kind of see how is it going to impact the workflow, and then you know, kind of even though we're a single specialty, the subspecialties have different workflows. Some you know, some inside the subspecialties, you have subspecialties that have different workflows. So, you know, you have to just take that into the con- in, into the consideration. And I think at the end of the day, you know, making sure that the patient is taken care of is you know job one. So you know if the provider is impacted in their ability to take care for the patient, you failed. It doesn't make a difference. You can have the best solution in the world that could cure all this stuff. If it if it, if it yeah. doesn't, you know, if the provider can't care for patients, then you failed. So kind of taking that as mantra number one, we've really kind of put it on. The, I mean, when you focus on something completely, mm-hmm. um, you make sure that that's uh, that, that that's on, on top on your list. Yeah, no, and you've been successful. It's awesome. So what have been your biggest hurdles probably over the last couple of years? Obviously, meaningful use stage yeah. two could be up there, but w- what has been your biggest hurdle over the last couple of years? Um, you know, I would say... And how have you, you know, achieved, you know, the success there in dealing with them? Yeah, I mean, I, I think timelines and priorities have been challenging. Um, you know, we go into our meaningful use meetings not mm-hmm. knowing whether or not meaningful use is going to be <laughs> is going to be what, what the requirements are going to be. Right. So you're kind of like, okay, if if you know, we're, we're just, you know, a quick uh, plug for ourselves, but we've actually have more than fifty percent of our physicians ready to meet meaningful use two regs as it states right now. So nice. that's more than five percent of. Uh, Portal, yeah. uh, electronic communications, and all the all the other things that everybody's uh, complained about that are probably going to change. And that's not ninety days; that's year to date. Yeah. So wow. we, yeah, that's year to date. That's not ninety days. So if nothing changes, we You're would good. be good with fifty percent of our docs right now. And you know that number is moving up every every week. So um, you know, 
it's uh, it's it, those are the type of challenges that you are because when you know ICD ten, we probably could have used another year. Um, it kind of gave us some flexibility, yep. uh, you know, especially with MU two possibly hitting and ICD ten, and then nothing happened. So last year was kind of a a good opportunity to kind of take inventory, look at a lot of uh, what we were doing, kind of prep for things. So um, you know, timelines, priorities. Audits. It's not uh, will you be audited. It's when you'll be audited. Right. And really, what it comes down to is, um, you know, making sure that you're prepped for those. Making sure that you have your documentation because it's 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 like math class in high school. <laughs> you know, if you don't show your work, you yeah. know, it, it's you know, it it just doesn't count. And and, yeah. and they don't. There's not a lot of there's not a lot of wiggle room there. So, um, you know, interoperability um, has been has been a challenge for us. Making sure that you know whatever solution. We, there's some great solutions out there, but if it can't interoperate, if it's not interoperable with our EHR, our practice manager system, our the community that we have in in in, in, the, in, uh, in, in Metro Atlanta, mm-hmm. um, it it just can't work. Um, you know, we, we've we've had to turn down a number of vendors just for the simple fact that they couldn't integrate with our solution or they didn't you know have the desire to integrate. And I think that's probably one of the biggest challenges uh, for both uh, providers and for the the software vendors is that you know the Everything's kind of beholden. They're the gatekeepers. Right. Your EHR company or practice management system is your, is your gatekeeper. Um, and, you know, and, you know, Portal, you know, Portal's a challenge. Uh, <sighs> yeah. Portal's a huge challenge. And, you know, I, it, it, even as we speak about it now, we've gotten, you know, a, a great amount. Um, we have 56,000 patients on our patient portal, which which is a, is, a, is a large number considering the, the, that we're just in Metro Atlanta. Mm-hmm. But uh, that being said, you know, we need to get rich content on that portal. We need to get um, more information on that portal. We need to make it easier to use. And um, you know, I think uh, with the change in MU2 basically saying everybody has to have a portal that functions yeah. now, yeah. I think the focus has been on, okay, we need to get portals out, not make it functional and usable and that kind of stuff. Very good point. So Very good point. Um, yeah, and, and we wouldn't have time today, but certainly we probably should talk about Commonwealth a little bit. We probably should talk about Sequoia Project, which used to be Healthy Way. Those are big interoperability consortiums that might be able to uh, to assist some of your strategies. But um, off the air, we talked about you know this PROMS patient reported outcomes metrics a few times. What is that? I've never heard of that before. So, so patient reported outcomes metrics have been around for a long time. Um, you know, th- with where they've really lived up until mm-hmm. now has been uh, more in uh, education facilities. They've been in uh, joint re- in registries. Um, they've been used for tracking success of of, of, of medical device implants. Okay. Um, so basically, what they are are uh, they're, they're societies. There's the hand society. There's the the basically every body part pretty much has a society in orthopedics. Yeah. Yep. So they're they're the, basically these tests that have been worked on for number of years that have basically been put together that kind of look at the entire outcome of the patient care. Uh, It's in orthopedics, it's a little bit difficult because of the simple fact that, you know, it's not just, you know, you had something, you got better, because in some cases, there's variability, there's comorbidities, there's all different types of things that that go into that, you know, that the the outcome of, you know, a 20 year old uh, and and an 80 year old is not going to be the same on an ACL. Um, so, you know, how do you kind of level that playing field? And so what patient reported outcome metrics use are these tests, and they create scales. And it, effectively what it does, it gives you a baseline of where the patient was before you saw the, before you did the procedure and where they are at the end of the day. So we're, we're, you know, we're really trying to get into that value-based care. So what we can show is, you know, I mean, if, if you ask any surgeon, um, with the exception of a few of them right. out there, they're going to say, hey, I'm the best. I'm the best surgeon out there. Right. Um, 
but uh, you know, being able to actually show that you can get, you know, I'm just making this up, your promise score, which is one of the which is one of the implements, um, up from you know a two to a, a seven in 90 days, and the average can only get it from a two to a six in 90 days. That's 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 a, a, a pretty significant increase. So when you're looking at it from that perspective, uh, you start getting to that quality mm-hmm. metric, and that's really what Proms does. It gives you that quality metric where you can then start building best practices around that. And you know, we know how much things cost. Uh, we know how much it costs to do the procedures. We know, and that's kind of where we can kind of get that information by taking the, co- the by, by taking the actual cost and the, the the quality of the service and get to that value level. So it's not just uh, um, it, it's not just saying we're the best. Right. We can show uh, statistically from proven implements from these uh, surveys that we're the best. No, I love it. So for everyone that may have joined us a little late, my guest today is Bradley Dick, Chief Information Officer for Resurgence Orthopedics. So. You brought up you a great segue into my next line of questioning because, and you and I talked about this. I think I hosted a uh, accountable care summit about five or six years ago here in Atlanta, and I want to say you were on one of my panels or Doctor or Raj Raj Bo- Bolay, yes, Doctor Bolay, right? But I worked that all through yeah. you um, to get him there. And then you and I had a lot of conversations around orthopedics and accountable care and, and what was the fit. So, what is the fit for orthopedics in value based? care, value-based medicine, accountable care? Because uh, so PROMS is kind of, that's what you're leading. That's leading the whole direction of quality-based because a longer conversation. But that is the, you're on the precipice for it. So tell me your um, your angle with it. So so really what, what we want to get to is, you know, we we, be, we heavily believe, and I mean, it's just been proven in the industry with with uh, deductibles now, mm-hmm. that um, the, we're, we're seeing the consumerization of healthcare. I think we've awesome. been. I think people have been talking about it for yeah. a long time, but yeah. it's kind of until you're you're starting on to be on the hook for you know your five ten thousand <laughs> dollar deductible right. that you know you might not walk in and say I need an MRI. Well, you don't really need an MRI. No, I need an MRI because now you're gonna be like okay, well you want an MRI? Well, here's here's the six hundred dollars and, and you can it, cough up the, and, and it, you can get the MRI. But, exactly. But you know when you start making, I think we spend a lot more time. You know, uh, we spend a lot of time looking at what doctor we want and that kind of stuff, but we don't start looking at the cost of that doctor and the quality and you know, we probably spend more time looking at uh, TVs or computers, mm-hmm. and and then we, then we do on you know the, the the value because we've never been responsible for it. But the value is where we're going to really start being able to differentiate, and that's where we're talking about is because what we're going to say is we will be able to deliver this level of care at this cost, and um, you know that's kind of really where we're we're banking because we're we're going to show that the consumer is going to be as they're probably going to be or they're going to be more educated yeah. um, than they've ever been in healthcare. Um, they are, and they will be Correct. continue. Yep. Yep. Uh, I think as people start getting that sticker shock yeah. when, when they walk in there, and um, you know, it's uh, it's it we'll be able to show them the, those inf- the information. The, the transparency is going to be demanded. You know, as soon as you start being on the hook, you know, you you know, you we're going to walk in there and you say, okay, that's great that I need that, but where are your your quality metrics, and what's this going to cost me? Because I mean, at the end of the day, you're going to probably be on the hook for a majority of it. That's right. No, and you're, uh, I agree with you 100%. I just left a keynote in California to 100 hospitals. And literally, my biggest thing was, if you don't know what's happening in your community, please get to understand it. it I, we, I talked about everything you just mentioned around uh, the need to understand consumerism. It's out there today. Uh, patients are being shifted, whether it's by their high deductible health plans, whether it's by, by their employer, because employers are becoming self-insured, large employers are. So they're changing how healthcare is consumed in the community. Uh, there could be accountable care networks that are stealing patients because if they can offer a plan that's $300 cheaper a month, uh, patients are going to shift oh, yeah. that way. They may have seen, doc- seen Dr. Jones happily for 20 years, but if they can save 300 to $400 a month by shifting plans or going to a narrow network, 
I mean, they're going to leave a lot of providers behind in shift, no matter what that relationship was. So by you focusing on quality, value, cost, uh, that's significant. And, and understanding what I love about what you said is you're, you're looking at what patients are going to do and are, are starting to do today, but you're, you're already looking for that. A lot of health systems are not. They're kind of flying blind. They don't understand that these decisions are already being made today. They probably are losing patients, and they don't know it. And that's why I said certainly in physician offices, know if you're at, you know, if you're at, you know, growth or if you're losing patients, if you increase patients by 10% patient visit volumes, or you're losing patients or visit volumes by 10%, 2%, whatever it is, know where you are because it's going to hit you and it's going to hit you fast. And if you can't uh, keep a pedal to the metal there and understand that gauge, you could really be down 30 40% if a significant shift occurs in your community. And I lived through that at uh, in Carrollton when we went to a self-insured. Our, within that, that January of 2012, I think it was 2011 when we shifted, we changed probably how healthcare was consumed by 30 or 40% in that community just because we had high deductible health plans and we cared where we spent our money. And I promise you people didn't just run out to your point. So um, we're running a little low on time, but there's a couple of new questions, but I'm going to have to have you back, my friend. What do, you, what do you envision over the next couple of years, your focus? And therefore, also transition that into what advice would you offer other CIOs to look for in the next couple of years? So, so I, I think that what we're seeing more and more of, is, you know, one of, the, one of my good friends' company, Merge Healthcare, was just acquired by IBM, yeah. the, the Watson Group, yeah. uh, for a billion dollars, yeah. which, which is a huge number. And you might say, why would IBM want to buy a radiology company or a, or, or, um, a PAX company? And really what it kind of comes down to is uh, analytics, big data. I know it's kind of cliche now. Everybody, nobody yeah. really quite, kind of quite knows. You know, it's so uh, ambiguous. You know, it's almost like cloud. But um, uh, you know, getting that data, there's so much data in healthcare that we don't take advantage of. And you know, what I would recommend anybody doing is start seeing where are your data siloed and what mm-hmm. could data could you bring together and get meaningful that you can have decision-making power on? You know, what dashboards could you put together? Sit down with your, you know, your CFO, your, your accounting, your CEO. Say, so you can really, there's so much data that's already in your systems, and there's probably data that you could start getting uh, additionally to, uh, to kind of put together some um, forecasting if you're not already doing it. I, I really don't think that you know, the healthcare industry is, is taking advantage of that, and I think that that's why IBM is making such a huge play. I mean, they have this super computing system, and they could be using it anywhere, and they're using it in healthcare. Watson, Watson Health is a huge focus for IBM. So, um, you know, focus on big data, focus on analytics, focus on, you know, finding out that, you know, being able to, so we, if we take that quality, we take that value, um, and we and we can kind of plug all that information together, then we can really start seeing, uh, you know, maybe bundling, oh, um, yeah. you know, th- those, those type of things. So uh, that's really where a lot of the focus is. Uh, and, and, and anybody who's not looking at that, not looking at their data, because, I mean, knowledge is power. I mean, I think yeah. we've, been, we've been hearing that since... since, uh, since we were since, kids. Yeah, since yeah. we were kids. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so knowledge is, is going to become increasingly more power because now it, we're, we're dealing with knowledge on a scale that two human, to, 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 uh, humans have never had uh, at their fingertips before. Now, very good point. And... Um, I love it. I think you're you're dead on target, and that's why we're good friends. Um, so, also uh, in the closing ten seconds here or so, what's your favorite place to be inspired? I always ask my guests this. My listeners is one of the favorite parts of the show. But uh, what's your favorite place to get or be inspired? Uh, on my bike, I, I I love cycling. I cycle at least once a week. 
Um, it is my zen. I go on long bike rides. And, uh, How far? Um, the longest one I've done was to, uh, we did it to the Alabama State Line on the Silver Comets. So that was 100, I think it was 113. I did it with uh, two friends. And, you know, we did it in mid-July, and that wasn't the best idea. I think we're going to try to go <laughs> all the way to Anniston next. But, I mean, it's, uh, it's just such a, it's such a great opportunity. We spend so much time inside. Uh, you know, the physical exercise, you know, the camaraderie. Yeah. And, you know, it, 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 that's my zen. Yep. That's, that's my zen moment is when I'm out there pedaling and just me and the road and the and. and and fresh air. Perfect. Now, great answer, my friend. Bradley, it's great to have you as my guest today, and I truly appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to uh, join us here in the studio. And for everyone listening, thank you for joining us, and please tune in weekdays, 2.30 p.m. Eastern, 11.30 a.m. Pacific. As always, you can track me on Twitter at HIT Advisor and use the hashtag ThisJustIn so we can respond to your comments from the show. In addition, all my content will be posted on my website at JustinBarnes.com. Thanks, everyone. Have a terrific week.